0: Today, my guest is Professor Robert Gross. I will keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Robert as a person, Professor Gross as a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally as a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Gross is an AIB fellow and a fellow of the Business Association for Latin America American Studies. Robert was the Head of Leadership Development and Learning of the Standards Bank Group in South Africa. He also founded the Global Leadership Center for the group. He has served as the Dean of the Egade Business School in Monterrey Tech in Mexico. He was the Director of George Mason's Center for Global Business Innovation and Transformation, and the Dean of the American University of Sharjah in United Arab Emirates. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Robert, for joining us.
1: I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Robert, first question is, what did you want to become when you were a child?
1: (laughs) I'll tell you what, I have no idea. I I, I probably would have to just answer that I wanted to be a track star like my father, who who ran for Southern Cal as a 400-meter runner in the Pan American Games. And that would have gone to the Olympics, except that, that didn't happen in 1940.
0: Wow, that's interesting. And <laughs> You weren't expecting uh, that, eh? Hey? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, people want to be writers, people want to be teachers, people want to be- uh, Now, you know what? I, track- I, let,
1: let me give you a slightly longer answer, which is I grew up in a middle-class family in Philadelphia and I did what I was told to do I played sports, I went to school, I studied at home. I had, an, I think I had two brothers and I think I, we had a nice family life. But the point is I didn't look at independent uh, things. I just, I learned what I was supposed to learn. I had fun, I did well in school. I did well in sports and that was enough. You know, I was quite comfortable with that but I didn't wanna be a fireman and I didn't wanna be Albert Einstein or anything in particular. Uh, As I grew up, you know, I had different uh, goals, but I always wanted to be a jock. I have to say that.
0: (laughs) Uh, About the earliest moment that you can remember, the difference between domestic versus international. When was that?
1: The first time I thought about international? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's easy because, as I say, I was in Philadelphia and in a normal school, regular school, and there was nothing particularly international about our experience. But when I was a junior uh, in high school, I had an opportunity to spend the summer in Luxembourg uh, as a, an exchange student with the uh, experiment in Inter- international living. Mm-hmm. And that was it, man. That's, I you know, had no idea about other countries. I think I had been to Puerto Rico uh, once, uh, but uh, I was 17 years old and I went overseas uh, and I spoke some French when I left home. I'd studied it all through high school but not very well. And then I got there and I had no choice because no one spoke English. So I quickly learned to communicate successfully in French. And I had an experience for that summer, which was fantastic. And it didn't make me say, I want to be an international business professor. It just opened my eyes to the rest of the world, I guess. And, but that was unquestionably a factor that was central mm-hmm.
0: to me. How, how, did you, how did you choose academia? How did I get in it? Yeah. How did Uh, you get in academia and in IB? Oh, in academia, sorry. Yep. Uh, I
1: went to college uh, at Princeton. I didn't know what to study, so I studied a little of everything. I started out as an engineer, and I didn't like the focus on only engineering. I wanted to study French, and I wanted to study uh, other things, and I found economics was a good fit. So I ended up majoring in economics in French, uh, and uh, you have to write a thesis there. So I wrote a thesis about regulation of US companies in the common market, uh, which was of course, international mm-hmm. and academic, but that was no choice. Everyone had to write a thesis. And I went to graduate school and studied international economics there. Um, I guess the choice when I went to graduate school is the one that was kind of defining. It was either go to graduate school or go to Vietnam. And I thought that going to graduate school was a great idea. Uh, and so I went to graduate school and studied the uh, economics and ended up finding Jack Behrman, uh, who was at Chapel Hill at that time. And he was uh, a professor teaching international business, which I knew nothing about. So I studied a couple of courses with him. I enjoyed it. I got him to be my thesis advisor. And when I came out of graduate school, instead of going into economics, I went into international business which in the mid 1970s was not a particularly well-known subject. Mm
0: -hmm. And how come uh, your CV is full of these institution building uh, activities? Uh, How did they uh, come about? Uh, I do things
1: and I've always done things that I find interesting and challenging. And I definitely don't like to focus on the same thing for a very long time, meaning for, I, I wouldn't write, I started writing about foreign direct investment and regulation of US companies overseas. And I still come back to cycle back to that from time to time, but I didn't like and never like doing the same thing, uh, I don't know, only. Mm-hmm. So I found uh, an opportunity after I'd been at the University of Miami for many years that Thunderbird asked if I would come out and be head of the business faculty, which is 77 professors. And I thought, you know, right, I'm not interested in administration and Thunderbird was okay, but it wasn't well-known academically at that point, way back when. Um, So, but my wife said, hey, you should go out and at least talk to them. So it was somebody else came to me and said, it was David Ricks, by the way, from uh, AIB. And he said, who I knew in AIB and who, who was the provost. And he said, would you come out here and talk to us? And I said, well, okay. And it was just a very nice environment. Uh, There's no, there was no problem in convincing professors. Maybe different from Kent State. I don't mean to be critical, but everybody believes in international business, so you didn't have to convince them at Thunderbird that it was important, or that you know an overseas or an uh, outside the U.S. view was useful, or that languages are important, or you know and and governments are important. Mm -hmm. So it, it just fit kind of my. Uh, view of the world, which has developed over time, but it's been a very random process. It's not as if I planned this, plotted this out. So I ended up being an administrator. It's kind of the inside dean, because Thunderbird has an outside dean who's the president. And then at that time, we had a director, or what was my title? I forget what it was, but I was head of the business faculty, which, as I said, was 70 some people. And we had an international relations faculty and a language faculty. So it was three so to speak, schools within the university, but I was responsible for everything business inside the university. And, you know, I I liked it. It was okay. I did it for a few years, but then I went back to being a professor for another 10 years. Uh, So it wasn't in my genes or something that I had to be an administrator. And I'll anticipate another question, I guess. Uh, Out of the blue, I got a headhunter who called me and asked if I would consider uh, leading the area of leadership development at Standard Bank, which is the largest bank in Africa. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I don't, at first I had to look at a map and see where Africa is and, you know, find out about South Africa a little bit and about this bank. And I'd worked with banks in Miami for many years. So I, I knew uh, people at probably 10 of the top 12 size-wise banks in the world. And so I was quite familiar with banking, but not with that bank. So I went there and found the people were terrific. And I reported to the initially to the head of retail banking and then to the head, the, the CEO of the bank after I had been there for a year. And man, what an opportunity for somebody who'd been a professor all along. I was sitting there on the executive committee without a vote, parenthetically, uh, every week talking about the strategy of this bank, the problems we had with government, the labor relations. Uh, issues of trying to lend to poor people, everything under the sun, that was just fascinating. And for an academic to be now an, an executive in this context was just a wonderful opportunity. So that probably, I guess, uh, opened my horizons to say, yeah, I, I enjoy this. It's really an exciting challenge. I like managing people. And it was with that experience that I subsequently took on a couple more uh uh, leadership roles uh, as the dean at, at Monterey Tech's Graduate Business School, Agade, and at the business school in, in the Sharjah, the, in the UAE.
0: Interesting. Uh, something that is not on your CV that uh, not many people would know about you.
1: <laughs> um, well, I have, as my background here, which I hope will show up okay on this video, my African uh, uh giraffe standing there eight feet tall and pictures of Africa which you can't see too well and then on the other side you see my canoe paddles and kayak paddle. I raced an Olympic canoe uh, for the United States and uh, in the Pan American Games actually and also in competitions domestically so there's my a few of my paddles that I use every day actually every couple days now I must admit getting older I don't compete right now but I do paddle several times every week. And so that's something that's uh, entertained me for a long time, uh, but I'm a jock, like I said, uh, and I enjoy running and I enjoy, I did Taekwondo. You may be able to sort of see the down there on the, behind me, it's, it's a six degree black belt certificate in the Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, you know, I, I'm happy to do sports of any kind um when there's somebody else to do it with or if there's nobody else I'll go out and run or go out and paddle by myself so that's probably something people don't know now but when I was a little younger and the AIB leadership was my age instead of a two decades younger than me uh those people did know
0: <laughs> interesting um well, if you stop doing what you're doing today which is really difficult to say but uh what would you do if you retired today let me ask you differently if you retired today what would you do
1: you know this it, that's i have an easy answer for you i don't know if it'll be true well number one i'll consider continue with academic athletic sorry <laughs> activities <laughs> the way i just described but on the uh, you know what would be my hobbies i love to write so i'm sure i'll continue writing uh, and i remember one colleague in particular who i won't name Uh, who's an AIB past president said he wasn't going to write by God when he retired, he was going to sit around and enjoy life and smoke Cuban cigars, um, which I know he does uh, in Miami. But uh, I just, I like writing and I don't see why I would stop that. So if I don't teach regularly, uh, I am sure I'll keep writing and I probably will travel a bit. I think AIB people have a uh, fascination with different places and I don't think I would stop uh, visiting different places, even if they're ones I've been to before. Um, and I'll read and I'll, but I but will we'll continue writing and I'll continue uh, doing athletic stuff. Those are constants for sure.
0: Interesting. Uh, regrets, have you got any regrets? And
1: I don't, I guess my answer to that's easy. I don't think it's a good idea to look backward and say, I wish I'd have done something different at point X. Uh, I think I've described to you that there's a lot of serendipity into, in the things that I have done. It's not like I planned it all out, but I've enjoyed the things that I've done and I've changed uh, every once in a while. I was at the University of Miami for I think 16 or 18 years. I was a Thunderbird for 12 years. Uh, I've been back now for five Uh, And so I I do enjoy doing different things. I don't regret leaving Thunderbird. I don't regret coming back. And the same thing would be said for the other experiences. So I I really don't think so. I'm I'm happy with what I've done and and look forward to more interesting things in the future.
0: Uh, uh, Thank you. About uh, research in general, how do you explain? I mean, you're a man of many talents in many different areas, you've succeeded. How do you explain? your research to people who don't read uh, scholarly articles to, to normal people uh, in, in a pub, in a small village. Uh, <laughs> you know, how do you explain what you do and why your work is important?
1: Well, if I'm in a small village in uh, Kenya, uh, just after climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, I, would, I was in Tanzania though, I think Kenya was the airport so I'm in, I'm in Tanzania and I, I'm in a small pub uh, and somebody asked me what I do. And I said, I'm a, I say I'm a teacher. And so anyway, if, if they asked me about writing, the answer would be, I write about uh, emerging markets, you know, like Tanzania, I write about how companies operate and how governments regulate them. And you know people's eyes may glaze over because they're really not interested in that perhaps. Uh, but I also can say, well, You know, I wrote a a book recently about the four-day work week and why we should move to a four-day, 32-hour work week after 100 years following Henry Ford with the five-day, 40-hour work week. There's nothing sacred about that. So, you know, I pursued that direction. I've written about it. And that's something people can relate to, even if they don't like it. At least it's not so esoteric that they can't understand it. So I don't get bogged down in trying to convince somebody that my latest regression is uh, something they should be interested in. I, n- nobody cares about that except us, which is fine. But I'm not gonna try and sell that to a person in a pub when I'm, I've got a glass of beer or wine or whatever it is. Um, I'm gonna tell them what I write about and hopefully find something that they could relate to. And if not, then uh, we'll have a beer and talk to, about what they're interested in.
0: Um, about uh, what we need to study more. Uh, in IB research? Uh, Some omitted variables, some uh, neglected areas.
1: Uh, I really like that question because I don't think that we are missing the golden opportunity. I think international business from the very start has tried to be a practical uh, discipline if you want to call it a discipline. Uh, We're interested in the way people make decisions, why they do it, how governments regulate and so on. Uh, and how companies work and, and we will do case studies and we will do uh, uh, multi, uh, many observation analyses on, on secondary data or do both of those kinds of things to support the same issue that we're interested in. But I think what's so attractive about IB is we do international relations, we do economics, we do political science, we do uh, you know, all sorts of things, anthropology, sociology, that relate to understanding why people do things and as long as the decision or the issue crosses national borders, that's what we care about. Let me conclude that thought or this thought by saying, you know what? Our best theory in international business is John Dunning's eclectic theory. You may like or dislike John Dunning, but the one theory that clearly identifies international business is that one. And I call it the kitchen sink theory because it throws in everything, including the kitchen sink. You know, you can't say, Porter's competitive advantages aren't there. They are. That's one of his three elements. You can't say we don't pay attention to country characteristics, that's the location issues, and so on. I won't go through the whole thing. But the point is, you can't identify something that doesn't fit into that three-part view of the world. And it's it's the most unwieldy, you know, ungodly model because it doesn't differentiate to the second derivative and it has various weaknesses in, in a structural. Uh, sort of mathematical uh, context, but in terms of thinking about the world, man, it's really great. And that's the kind of thing that we do. And I may be interested or not in a particular subject. I mean, having been dean in a couple of places, I'm interested in accounting and marketing, you know, and and everything in addition to finance and strategy, which are my traditional areas. Uh, um, But there's always something that I'm not especially interested in that may come up. So, fine, I go to an AIB meeting and I, I skip that session. But even so, I find new things I'm interested in all the time. And you have to be, you must be the same way, meaning an AIB member. You must be able to go to a session and say, well, I learned something about something I didn't know about. And I actually was interested in it, even though you know, it was accounting or it was something or other that's way out of my normal uh, realm of, of thinking. And I, I think AIB or I think international business is extremely flexible in that sense. That's why we can't define our domain, despite what uh, Alan Verbecki wants to do. Uh, we're not gonna, we don't come to an agreement on what it actually is, which is fine with me.
0: Okay, uh, let's start with Dunning's executive theory and the current state of the IB field research. Um, this evolution, what can we say about the evolution of IB research? What have we lost along the way? What have we gained? Uh, are we better off now? Uh, do we need to go back and remember the uh, discipline-based training, uh, what can we say?
1: Well, let me uh, first talk about the background. When you go back to the 19, end of the 1950s and beginning of the 1960s, when Dunning and Fairweather and a few others were the only ones who thought this was an interesting subject uh, they created international business and most of them were economists, um, Steve Robach, uh, Jack Behrman, uh, others in, of that ilk at, at that time. Uh, and so they came at it with an economics perspective and were interested in multinational companies. So they studied multinational companies, they wrote about it in a, a prose manner, not statistically, and that got us started. And then as we moved along when Jibs launched in 1970, Uh, and we became an academic, more academic uh, area. We went from the Academy for Education and International Business to AIB uh, or Association for Education, I guess. Um, You know, we became more academic. And so there was room for modeling and trying to to define what our discipline is. You know, if you go back to that uh, ancient time, Ray Vernon's international product cycle was probably the first international business theory. I mean, you could take uh, John Fairweather's a scheme of the world where he's got dimensions uh, all over the place, and I'm trying to think of the guy at the University of Washington who had a similar uh, broad perspective, but it wasn't lined up as a normal theory. It was just trying to describe what all we are interested in. Uh, but but Vernon's product, international product cycle, man, it defined international business. You know, we we look at foreign countries as places to operate because they have big markets and because there's technology there, or at least that's where the New products are launched in countries like that, and mm-hmm. then they expand to other countries like emerging markets. Eventually, when technology is standardized, I mean, what's what's more interesting than that? And then, oh wow, we get to the twenty-first century or end of the twenty-twentieth, and you see, wow, com- companies are splitting up their supply chains and putting activities in places, for example, where costs are low, are low, or where R and D is intensive. So they split things up, okay. And we look at supply chains or, or value added chains. That's fine. And so we now look at the cost side again, kind of like going way back to Ricardo's comparative advantage, which arguably is the most important issue idea in international economics or in economics broadly. Uh, we, we started with that in international business too before Vernon even. And now we've got a combination and, and uh, we've, we've got costs that matter. We've got markets that matter. We've got new technology that matters. And these are things that we've looked at you know, all along since the 1960s. And I don't feel that we've missed the boat or that we've failed to continue or kind of cycle back to the things that are important out of each of those themes uh, over the years. Uh, one could say perhaps that IB has become too formalistic and too focused on analytical modeling and less on issues that are important. And I would say at the margin, at the margin, I agree, that's true. I would like us to look at more earth shattering issues, but you know, there's, there's not, I mean, how many times have we come up with an eclectic theory or Vernon's international product cycle or even comparative advantage? I mean, once in history. So it's not like Jibs can have articles that are on earth shattering issues every single, every single time an issue of Jibs comes out. So mm-hmm. I don't feel uncomfortable with that. And I don't mind academic rigor at all especially when we're competing with the Academy of Management uh, <clears throat> and the, the marketing people and the people in other disciplines uh, for you know, shelf, well, shelf space, so to speak, for readership uh, and for impact. So I think I don't have a problem with what we do at all. And I don't feel like we should go back to something or that we should uh, stop doing a particular type of analysis. There's definitely room for words, meaning prose analysis. But boy, it's hard to publish that in an academic journal, whether it's jibs or anything else in another discipline. So, I mean, that's reality uh, and I don't object to it. Again, uh, there's other formats or forums that you can go to to publish that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, I I like to write books uh, and that's me. How much credit do I get for writing books as an academic? Zero, It, it didn't make any difference to my tenure. It was not interesting to people as I went along through my career. But you know, I wrote a textbook that went through three editions long ago. Uh, I've written books about different subjects that are interesting to me, particularly in the last two decades about emerging markets. And again, I get no academic credit for it, but I learn and I hopefully inform some people with what I write. And to me, that's what's fun about it. Just like whatever you write about is interesting to you. And there are some people who care about that and who will pay attention to it. but we're so, so to speak, eclectic as an area, international business, mm-hmm. that I think that's our biggest
0: strength. Right. About uh, Thank you. About uh, advice and mentoring, what was the best advice you received when you were going through this process?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I've received good advice uh, along the way. Um, I guess my, my thesis advisor, Jack Behrman, advised me to go to Miami as opposed to a different school in the general neighborhood of where you are. And uh, I did that. Uh, and then, and I'm very happy that I did. It was a, you know, not too well-known school as far as international business goes, but uh, and a good experience. And ultimately the guy that tried to hire me at the school near you went to Thunderbird and he hired me at Thunderbird. So <laughs> sort of what goes around comes around or something. But the advice I got from my advisor was really good. And I don't know. I mean, my wife said I was I should go out and check out Thunderbird when I wasn't particularly with, enthralled with the idea. And she also suggested I should go talk to the people at Standard Bank uh, when I wasn't convinced I wanted to go to Africa when I'm a Latin Americanist. And I, going to a bank was great, but going to Africa was just not, you know, is not in my universe at that time. Now I'm very pro-Africa, very interested in South Africa. I, I go there every year uh, virtually for the last year and this, this year, I suppose. But I mean, it's definitely part of my genes these days and it's not something I had planned ahead of time. As far as advising or, or guiding other people, I think you asked that as the second part of what you were uh, asking me. So I've gotten advice from people and the advice I give really is, is to uh, go to Work with people who are enjoyable to work with when you're trying to make a decision about where to go, whether it's a student of mine looking for a job or a colleague or, or somebody who's my student who's going to go into academe, which is really what you're interested in. And I think uh, my, my view is go to a group of people that you like working with uh, and as far as you can tell from being interviewed and, and don't feel like you have to go to a place that has a big name uh, because, you know, a bigger name is better than a lesser name. I found that that just doesn't seem to work out for, uh, I don't know if I can say for most people, but for many people. So that's kind of my my general advice. Uh, But I like mentoring, I like working with students.
0: Let's expand on that a little bit more. Uh, You've been a Dean, you've seen many uh, junior faculty. Uh, You've seen uh, young scholars. What are some of the common mistakes that they do uh, that you can say, don't do, don't do it uh, to ten people.
1: It's yeah, that, that's a very good question. And I think uh, looking at it as a Dean, I would say that I would like my faculty members to have an open mind. And then you may feel as an IB person that you have an open mind. Cause you know, you're willing to deal with people from other cultures and think about other countries and so on. But if you're a marketing professor, it's very hard to get interested in finance and vice versa, of course. And, you know, whatever it is you're in, business law, uh, supply chain, uh, anything, uh, management information systems. I think that for me as a as a dean, the issue that was most, let's call it attractive, is when I could get professors to just pay attention to other disciplines and, and be not resistant mm-hmm. to what they're doing and to be interested, in other words, in what they're doing. And I find that at Thunderbird it's it's attractive and easy to do. Uh, and at other schools that are I guess maybe medium size and certainly smaller schools, you get people who go to the faculty uh, presentations, whether it's for a job interview or just somebody presenting research, and you go to ones on different subjects that aren't remotely in your area of, of work, personal work area of work. And you learn so much from that, even though you may be bored on the on the detail details of modeling say, but you learn so much from that and, and what I would guide people or advise people to do is to try and get those experiences. In other words, go to those faculty seminars and learn from people who are working on something different from what you're interested in, because you're going to learn from it, and it's going to make your own ability to think uh, and, and uh, make decisions much better as you broaden your horizons that way. It's as difficult as that is, uh, when you see another discipline and they get the, the person who's presenting may get carried away with the, the technical details of of the analytical technique.
0: Robert, this was very helpful. Uh, what is one last question that I should have asked you, but haven't? Sorry? What's the question that I should have asked you, about oh,
1: I thought you said there's one last question that you were gonna ask me. <laughs> well,
0: like uh, it will actually turn out to be one of them. <laughs> geez,
1: I don't know. Uh, I, I would say that what I run into repeatedly in the academy of international business is who cares about the academy of international business we constantly in the leadership of the organization encounter the challenge that people at other univers- at, at any universities including our own uh, are don't have in, enough uh, money funding from the school to go to multiple meetings academic meetings and the academy of international business is always second to you know the academy of management or the american economic association or the academy uh, whichever marketing, one you go to, et cetera, the, the Academy of Finances with Economics uh, or the American Finance Association. So uh, how do you fit AIB in? And it's a constant challenge to us. Uh, we see membership staying around 3000 people for the last couple decades, I think now, but it go, the, the, not, the names of the people changed two or three or 400 different people every year, depending on where our meeting is and, and you know which people dropped out. And so how the heck do you build the organization? How do you, or I really wasn't going that way. How do you show international business is important? And I find that as a challenge to us that we constantly have to respond to and and demonstrate why we are important. And you didn't ask me that, at least not directly, uh, but I feel strongly that it's never going to go away. And it's not like we want to win a battle versus the Academy of Management. It's just, we wanna feel ourselves within ourselves that what we do is important, that other people care about it and that we have some kind of impact uh, on decision-making, on policy-making, et cetera. So that to me is a big challenge that we will continue to have to deal with. It's not that we will ever come up with the solution, but boy, to me, that's a big issue. And it's one that we need to pay more attention to, to both feel better ourselves about our own work uh, and also to to be more meaningful.
0: I mean, I want to follow up on that one. Uh, yes, academic work management is huge and always AIB is always three thousand uh, plus or minus a few. Uh, but AEA and AFA are sister disciplines are, are sister uh, conferences, right? they are basically sisters uh, uh, And SMS started slow and small, but it's such strategic management society SMS, uh, they, they they did increase their membership, so maybe there is a way to do it. And what do you think about how how to increase this membership? What is your solution to increase the three thousand? No, as I
1: said, there is not a single solution. I mean, we have in the long ago past affiliated with different other academic organizations to make our conference larger, uh, but really in recent decades, literally, we've been independent, fully independent. And I think it's great. Like, for example, we're looking, we participate in the UNCTAD World Investment Forum every year for the past seven years now. Uh, And that's something it's in Geneva, and they've got a 1000 people who attend the meeting. uh, And probably a dozen AIB people have been not the same people, but different people, some the same over these years have been involved. You know, there's another link that may potentially attract members to us. Uh, and I don't see us losing members to that organization, but I, I think it's great. And you know we have EBA in Europe that many AIB people are involved with, and there's typically an AIB session at EBA. Uh, there has been, although I don't think there is now at this moment, an EBA section session at the annual AIB meeting. I mean, I, th- I think that the collaborations are a great idea to just spread the word but the way we're going to grow the membership is just have more of us have PhD students who come out and want to teach international business. And as the world gets smaller or as international activities get to be a bigger and bigger part of business overall, I think more and more people will be interested in the kinds of things we do. So I'm, I'm not worried about us. We haven't declined dramatically in membership, uh, even with COVID-19. So I think that the uh, we're in satisfactory condition there, but you don't, you know, you don't want to be complacent and we did, we need to keep making the effort. But I, I don't see a, a specific link up as as the right as a as a as an only outcome kind of target. I don't have any objection to more link ups, but not as if it were the, the only way to do things.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for this great and interesting conversation. Um, I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you, Robert.
1: Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. And I hope that something that I've said may be useful to somebody. And I'll see you in an AIB meeting.